Good morning. My name is Keith Riley. I'm going to pick up where James left off in uh, Luke 6. I spend my days with uh, groups of 25 10th graders. You guys are a little bit of a more intimidating size. But I'm encouraged by the fact that you probably have a longer attention span, so we've got quite a a little bit of a lengthy passage here. Uh, Starting in verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So how do we love our enemies when so often we have trouble loving our own family, our friends, our coworkers? Um, before we even consider that, I wonder if, if Christ were here expanding on his words, would he point out that, hey, I'm using your language. Your enemies are not really your enemies. In fact, I made them in my image just like I made you. I died for them just as truly as I died for you. In fact, I put my spirit in you to be a light to them that they might come to know me. Anyway, back to the question. So how do we love those who at least, at least feel like our enemies? And I think the answer is we can't. With the emphasis on we can't. Because Christ does love them. Christ has done good for them. In fact, the greatest good, he's given his life for them. Christ has already provided the way for them to receive eternal blessing. And Romans 8 says that even now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And I think he would point out that if we carry the spirit of the one who has accomplished all of this, the greatest sacrificial love, the greatest good, the greatest blessing, perfect intercession on our behalf, maybe these ideals are not as unattainable as they seem. If you look at verses 29 and 30, Jesus gives some examples of the kind of radical love that he's challenging us to show people. At least I read those and come away with it thinking, uh, who does that? Of course, the Sunday school answer, which happens to be correct, is Jesus. But again, if his spirit dwells in us, he's calling us to grow towards living that kind of life. I think of John 15, which talks about whoever abides in me, Christ says, it is he who bears much fruit. And of course, with the word fruit, my mind jumps to the 
a Galatians passage where Paul describes what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a very happy, warm, fuzzy kind of image of what a, a Christian should look like. Uh, maybe you even think back to years of vacation Bible school, singing the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. But I wonder if this passage in Luke 6 is another image of the fruit of the Spirit. I wonder if it's an image of what it looks like when God's Spirit collides with the harshness of the world. That the Spirit's fruit in the face of opposition looks like enemies being loved sacrificially. That the Spirit's fruit when encountering hatred looks like good being done to the hateful. That the Spirit's fruit amidst curses looks like blessings. That the Spirit's fruit in the abused looks like prayer for the abuser. That the Spirit's fruit amidst need and injustice looks like radical generosity. Of course, all this is only possible in the power of the Spirit, but it's totally consistent with the life of Christ, isn't it? If you look down in verses 32 to 34, he poses some questions that, at least for me, push pretty hard on the idea that Jesus fully intends for us to be different from those who don't know him. So the unavoidable question is, how different are we? How different are we in loving others sacrificially, even when they're difficult? How different are we in doing good, even to people who set themselves up in opposition to us? How different are we at encouraging, even in the face of curses? How different are we at praying? even for those who have been abusive? How different are we in showing radical generosity? And then at the final verses, he uh, promises a great reward, which is encouraging because this is a difficult teaching. And he reminds us of our identity. Our identity. Uh, he says, you will be sons of the Most High. It's interesting, in the Greek there, it's a kind of a present forward tense that says more like you will be living as sons of the Most High, not an identity that you'll get someday if you do X, Y, and Z. It's an identity that Christ bestowed on us the moment that we were saved by his grace. So it's already an identity that we own. It's him calling us to live into that identity. The love that he's calling us to show to our enemies uh, the Greek word agape is used over 200 times in the New Testament. It's the type of love that's self-sacrificial, that's not sentiment, not feeling, not romance, but to give oneself for the better of another person. So I guess <clears throat> when you close the book and you reflect on where you are in the midst of this call, uh, at least for me, the temptation is to feel like I need to strive, I need to work harder, I need to be a better encourager, I need to love more self-sacrificially, I need to be more generous. And I guess there's practical steps that we should all take in those areas, but I think Christ would remind us that his word says abiding in him is what bears good fruit, not our striving. So if we're going to strive, I think our greatest need is to strive to know him more deeply to strive to follow him more closely, 
to strive to allow the Spirit to form us into his, his image. If you'd just pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, we see that your, your words were addressed to you who hear. I pray that we would be a people who hear and that we would, after we hear, we would be obedient. Lord, we ask for wisdom uh, to be able to examine ourselves, to know where we're different or we need to be more different and to what degree. Lord, we're reminded of our desperate need for your grace because we have no power in ourselves to live this kind of life. Lord, I thank you for the identity that you've given us as your adopted sons and daughters. We pray for the courage and the strength to live in that identity and not to hide it behind attitudes or words or actions that are not consistent with the spirit that you've put in us. Lord, we love you. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.